Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. And we worked it out so that I could, you know, at the end of my delivery, it would take me back to Randolph Center, where I grew up. And then when I was in Nashville and working at that place, I did a similar thing. and delivered the bagels to Vanderbilt, and probably the worst pickup line ever, I can promise you, is going through the breakfast line and then saying to the co-ed who's next to you as you're filling your tray, hey, a couple hours ago, I made that bagel. <laughs> This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. I mean, really, honestly, there was fab- every part of Buster Olney's life yes. seems interesting to me. Um, Okie dokie. Oh, we want to say a couple of things at the start of the show. Bruce Springsteen was in town, and by town I mean Washington, D.C., on Monday. Monday, yes. On Monday night, and Liz Clark was in the pit. Yeah. She got a ticket right by the stage to see Bruce Springsteen. I talked to her about it. She had a wonderful time, of course. Jesse McCollum uh, got a great seat at the Bruce Springsteen concert. Sands was not there. Was not Sands able to make missed it. that one. Yeah. Um, Liz told me, though, that, that the best concert she'd seen in a long time was the one a couple of weeks ago, I guess, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Really? Bruce in Greensboro, North Carolina. She just thought it was over the moon. She thought it was great. So we're happy for Liz Clark that she got to go to that concert. Very Absolutely. happy. Yeah, it'd be interesting to check in with go. her in a couple of weeks to see how the tour has evolved over these the early stages. Right, because I assume she'll go to more. Yeah. We always assume she's going to go to more. Um, last night, I cooked. Last night was a grill night for me. And I had sausages from ButcherBox. Because as you know, they don't sponsor today. We're not doing a read today. But I buy that. And so I, been, I should not put my apron on. No, you don't have to. Because I the grill two, I know really two awesome, butcher box aprons. <laughs> okay. If anyone's looking for a Right, you can scout one. Yeah. yeah. Um, put it on so game time. So I had the sausage, <laughs> and I said to Michael, you know, I'm going to cook the sausage. What do you think? And Michael came over. Why don't you say what you came over with? All right, so you said you are going to do sausage, and I was like, okay, well, opening day is coming up. You're going to do a, put a little onion pep on the grill. You don't have a griddle, but I was going to try and recreate that by giving you an aluminum pan. So I was doing dinner prep for us. We had uh, chicken sandwiches with a roasted uh, red pepper pesto sauce. So I uh, did a little julienne for you with the onion and pep. That's brought right. Brought that over. Right. And, uh, yeah. Red pepper and yellow pepper, red pepper and orange pepper. That was a little, yeah, whatever I had left over. So he had a red pepper, orange right. pepper. Mm. And he sliced it, Julianne style, sweeter. and put it in this thing and said to me... I think it was Julian. I'm not really sure my knife skills are subpar. <laughs> and he said to me, you know, when you cook the sausage, put this aluminum pan out there on one of the burners for about the same amount of time as the sausage. And then at some point, take the sausages off the grill and put them in the pan with the pepper and the onions. And I tried to follow these instructions. The sausages took a little bit longer than I thought they would because the butcher box sausages are not laden with fat. They're meatier. So anyone who's cooked sausages knows there's basically two types. You're sausages getting sausages that are wrapped in plastic from right. the grocery store. And right. if you turn your eye for a minute, there's, an, there's a fire. Yeah. So often <laughs> you might want to do those up indirect. Explodes. Try and you know Try and get them plump, get them uh, golden. <laughs> or there's sausage that's usually served in the round and sort of cut individually by a butcher. And that, uh, it, it does not have that same uh, fire hazard. Yeah. So, I mean, so we had those with the, with the strong casings and not something that's going to blow up and cause your house a tremendous amount of damage. So I kept them out there for about, I don't know, almost 20 minutes. And the last five minutes, 
I put the sausages in with the pepper and the onions. And they were great. I called Michael last night. I just left a message. said they were great. They were better than anything I had ever cooked before. There's a hierarchy of voicemails that I've saved on my phone. Number one will always be the duck boots. You don't need duck boots. You need moose boots from when I was up in Cambridge for one of the blizzards, uh, I believe, in, in early 2013. This is now in that pantheon where you did your numerology and you go... Let's just say this. A sausage, I think, has two sides. You start going, I went three on three on three on this side, then I flipped it for another three. I'm like, how many sides are on this sausage? Well, you know, but yeah, they're just two sides, but you can then put them on their backs, you know, if you're very, very careful with how you put them oh, on yeah. the grill. They were anyway, they were great, and I appreciate that. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there that cook themselves. And for me, uh I don't I'm not a cook, but I like to grill. It's easy to do. I like to do it. It gives me something to do. I watch the progress and then I eat the food. And if the food tastes good, I feel like I have done my job. So, you know, that's how I sort of look at it. Was that your first official grilling of the season? Oh God, no. I grill all the time. Okay. You mean uh, since we got to spring? Yeah. Second or third since we got to spring. Oh, that's an opening day cook. Yeah. I was going to say, okay. Yeah, I was was very happy with that. That's outstanding. Um, So we had Jim Laranaga or Jim Laranaga on the show yesterday. It's just, you know... Did you tell him the pizza story? I did not tell him the pizza story. Um, I I have, I should have told him the pizza story. He would have appreciated because he goes back a long way. <laughs> ah, it was a delight. You know, we have these old guys and we're old guys, and and it's just, it's just a delight to have people like that. I always feel, I always feel part of my job is before we start talking that i'm the warm-up act yes that i want to get the guy comfortable and it usually works i've i've never just, seen it not work it usually works because we know these people yeah and they're happy to be on you know so it's anyway anyway <clears throat> as you know wilbon's position if you don't know wilbon's position and he'll articulate it later is that he believes he doesn't care about the men's final four at all he's just interested in the women's final four he's interested in caitlin clark why let's ask ourselves why well she's a big 10 girl <laughs> you know he's a big 10 guy so i mean he's that's yeah. why he doesn't there's no there's no Chicago anything in the men's final four. There's three schools laying on I-95 in the East <laughs> and San Diego State. So he hates the final four. Yeah. But the but the women's, he loves Dawn Staley. He knows Dawn Staley from when I think she was at Virginia. Dawn Staley loves her, the coach at South Carolina. He loves Caitlin Caitlin Clark because she's great to watch. Caitlin Clark. The game that Iowa played the other night against Louisville to get to the Final Four when Caitlin Clark had a 40-point triple-double in a 40-minute game. 40 minutes, yeah. I mean, come on. 41, 10, 12. Come on. You know, that's now, – look, here's my fear, and I'll talk to Mike about this. I believe that this game with South Carolina is going to end up being Indiana State and Michigan State. That you heard about Larry Bird and you heard about Magic Johnson. Larry Bird just had a very ordinary game because Michigan State put 27 people on him. (laughs) And that's what I think South Carolina, a defensive juggernaut, is going to do to Caitlin Clark. I think they'll smother her. And I think they'll win by 25 points. Okay, be that as it may. The game that Caitlin Clark got to the Final Four through, the game against Louisville, that had an audience on ESPN of 2.5 million people. That's a lot. That's good. That's That's a lot. Want to know how much it is? It's higher than any NBA game so far this year. Higher than any wow. NBA game on ESPN so far this year, someone from Bristol told me. Wow. That's a big number. That In is. a few years and you ago, ask yourself, why are you paying a billion dollars for the NBA mm-hmm. if they can't bring in numbers like that? Now, in the playoffs, they will. 
Yeah. Higher numbers than that. Regular season. That's women's basketball. Higher number. Got a nice... Uh, oh, I just want to say I'm reaching out to Matthew Abbott Ball, the running store guy in Evanston. Oh, sh- I sent him a long email. He has not responded. Hmm. Maybe he sold the store? Like in the interim since he promised us some hocus? I will check the, uh, the email back and see if he's replied Send to Send him a there. long email. Okay. I'll follow uh, up on that. It's from Lee Levine. Tony, I've been listening to you on radio podcast since your very first show on WTEM. Does anybody want to guess what day that was? Because it was the day after Memorial Day, right? Oh, yeah, In that's 1992. Right. That's right. Yeah, it was the right Monday after, after Memorial, Memorial yes. Day. Yes, yes. So the Tuesday, because Memorial Day would have been a Monday. Been Monday. Although yeah. that doesn't make sense to me. We would have started on them. I don't know. But it was that week, 1992. It's a slow week. Yeah. more. Yes, a very slow week in 1992. Didn't have a lot of uh, expectations for that show, no. did they? Um, <laughs> that was a launch that I expected, much like the television show. Done in a week? I expected I'd be done in six to eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> and they would say, what are you doing here? You're not good at this. Let's bail out now. Here's the rest of your year. Just, Get out. Just go. There's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. <laughs> Lee Levine. More importantly, I've been following your career since I was a student at Wontaw High School, and you were writing high school sports for Newsday. I've been tempted to write in several times over the years, especially since after enjoying reading you as you climbed the ladder at Newsday and later at The Times. I left New York for D.C. in 1980, and lo and behold, there you were writing for The Post. By my count, that's more than 50 years of shared memories many of which you've spoken about on the show. I almost wrote you in, I almost wrote in a couple of months ago when an emailer mentioned New Hyde Park, and you informed the Littles that it was the hometown of Bob Abilini, who I suspected you probably covered when he was in high school. Yeah, he was a Thorpe Award winner, the best, best, best football player in Nassau County. He beat out Chris Kupek, and he beat out Mark Cody. You know, Mark Cody was the son of the coach, Joe Cody, at Carl Place High School, and Chris Kupek, who later went on to pro football, was at Syosset High School. I almost wrote in a few weeks ago when you first talked about the Knicks visiting Kiuma. I went to Camp Starlight, which always considered itself a great rival of Kiuma, although I don't know whether the feeling was mutual or if it was more a Cowboys WFT situation. Starlight was a more beautiful camp than Kiuma. Starlight had newer facilities, better facilities. Everything at Starlight was better. But Starlight, we thought, oh, we crushed them in sports. I mean, we just... <laughs> Took no prisoners. We beat them all the time, beat them badly. Because they were a theatrical camp. Oh, okay. They put on great shows. The kids that went to Starlight liked theater. Um, and that was one of the attractions to go to Camp Starlight was to put on really beautiful theatrical productions, which we did not do. We yeah, were but okay. they didn't have Uncle Arnie. They didn't have Uncle Arnie Ranch Shirley. They didn't have any of that. Yeah. No, they didn't have Uncle Arnie getting up there with Fugue for Tin Horns at the beginning of the play, <laughs> singing, you know, what's what's that show? Um, guys and dolls guys and dolls he sits he did the the top show i got the horse horse right right here here. yeah his name's paul revere yeah you know and i can tell when the weather's clear can do can do (laughs) this guy says the horse can do all right the knicks never visited starlight but they did come to the camp i attended before switching to starlight camp pontiac and they didn't go the knicks didn't go to starlight because you were theatrical camp the knicks went to cuma because we pounded okay Camp Pontiac, I'm kidding, Lee. Camp Pontiac on the New York side of the New York-Massachusetts border in the Berkshires. And that was what finally moved me to write. That combined with your eloquent tribute to Willis Reed after his recent and all-too-soon death. You see, I was a 12-year-old at Potomac in the summer of 1967, and the delegation the Knicks sent to camp that year consisted of one rookie, a really skinny kid named Phil Jackson, and two veterans, the very small Emmett Bryant and the gigantic, at least from the perspective of a 12-year-old Willis Reed. 
I'm pretty sure he wasn't the captain then, but he was definitely the leader of the Nick contingent. Incredibly gentle and kind to me and my fellow campers. He loved to fish. It's because he grew up, I believe, in Bernice, Louisiana and went to Grambling. And everybody fishes in the South. Because Pontiac had a well-stocked lake, he would come back by himself on occasion just to fish. In those days, the Knicks were still in the old garden that was on 50th Street and on 8th Avenue. And prior to the trade of Walt Bellamy and Butch Comas to the Pistons for Dave DeBusher, which allowed Reed to move to center, had trouble winning games and drawing fans. The latter explains why they sent contingents of players to the New York area summer camps and also why, during halftime of their games at the old garden, they often invited two camp teams to play an abbreviated game against each other. It's a five-minute game. But you were on the garden floor and you sure. got to take a shot. Yeah. While at Potomac, I got to play, while at Pontiac, rather, I got to play in one of the last of those games before the new and current garden opened in 1968. At the opening tip-off, the ball came to me. I dribbled a couple of steps to the top of the key. I chucked it up. It went in. I couldn't believe my ears when the P.I. guy announced the basket and the fact that it had been scored by me, a decidedly mediocre player. I was so excited that I made it my business to foul a player on the other team moments later just to hear my name announced again, this time being charged with a foul. I'm pretty sure I was taken out of the game promptly thereafter. Of course, my greatest sports memory of all time remains Game 7 Championship Series against the Lakers, which you described so well on the show, and which persuaded me that it was finally time to drop you a line, as Bob Hope would say. Thanks for the memories. Lee Levine Corolla, North Carolina. P.S. Although our official residence is North Carolina, my wife and I still have a presence in D.C. where my daughter and son-in-law, and more important, my two grandsons, roughly the same ages as Bootsy and the Hammer, live just over the Maryland line from you and Chevy Chase. Both my daughter and her husband went to Penn, where they were a year ahead of Michael. They were and remain very good friends with Jeff Bilski, who I know was also close with Michael. You want to say who that is? Jeff, uh, Jeff was uh, Steve's son, who was uh, my big brother in the fraternity. There you go. I played golf once with Jeff's dad, Steve, was one of my all-time sports heroes. My wife and I also went to Penn. Speaking of golf, my kids are thinking about joining Columbia. I belong to Bethesda, but Columbia is close to their house. If they do, perhaps my son-in-law and grandson can play with Michael and Bootsy, and you and I can caddy. Michael's definitely much better than my son-in-law, but my six-year-old is a great little swing. These are the kinds of emails that, you know, touch your heart. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're just wonderful. They talk about something that happened on the show. They describe their connection to that. And then they bring you up to date. I mean, you know, isn't that nice? It's, it's, that's hard to believe, the connections through the years. Yeah, it's just an amazing... It really is astonishing. It's lovely. We will take a break. Michael Wilbon will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. (laughs) Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a band called Paul Cody and the Edsel Brothers. Paul Cody sent us this. We are Paul Cody and the Edsel Brothers, a rock and roll band from Chicago. And while you have been gracious enough to play some of our songs in the past, while you've spent time recently in your attic, we've spent time in my basement recording a new album, 60 Cycle Hum. As of last week, we were all back out on the road with a sold-out release show at Chicago's Montrose Saloon. All us Edsel brothers are in our very late 50s, and usually the band we play with are in their very early 20s. It makes for a life-affirming experience. We try not to tell too many cynical stories about a life in music. Why spoil it? (coughs) This song is called Downpour. 
It plays in Chicago's own Michael Wilbon, who's out in Arizona and who is not enthused about the final four. Do you want to explain that position? Uh, Tony, I'm trying to figure out if it's the first time. I know I told you about this as it was happening. Uh, we were getting the, the, the four finalists, but yep. I, I, I don't, maybe it's not the first time. I think this time, though, I found the two weekends wildly great. entertaining. Yeah, great. Loved it. And I watched everything. I, you know, I'm, I'm out here sort of convalescing. I got nothing to do and nowhere to go. Right. I'm in front of three TV screens and taking my meals at a very cool new trendy sports bar in Scottsdale oh. where I can sit in front of a it's just unleaded hours or, or seven uh, the clubhouse at Desert Mountain wherever I am there's multiple TV screens at all times I watch every possession of every game right I loved it but I don't I don't care about the the I don't, you know I like the fact that I know the coach of uh, of Miami, Jim Laranega, who we had as a guest yesterday. He's great. Love it, and we'll probably root for him. Yep. And his team. But, I, you know, I, this is not the UConn I knew and covered. And, you know, I knew the coach before Jim Calhoun, Dom Perno. Sure. That's how far I go back following UConn. Um, and some of my favorite players over the time I covered college sport, uh, basketball were at UConn, who won championships like Rip Hamilton. But... I, I, I don't know this UConn. Um, I can barely even give you the other two schools. Who are the other two schools? San Diego State and Diego Florida State. Atlantic. It's... The last time I saw San Diego State in person, Kawhi Leonard was playing. And I went specifically to see Kawhi Leonard. Um, so we're talking about like 2011. If something. you ask me about San Diego State, I say Tony Gwynn. Yeah, I mean, so we got okay. So you going back further? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about their basketball. Right, right, right. Same here. Yeah. And so right. my point is, I, I don't know. I'm not invested yeah. in them. I, they don't have any history. With me. And by the way, that's not because you're not blue bloods. I don't know. The blue bloods now don't even keep kids for more than a week and a half. That's right. Even if they're not one and done, they're one and done at that school, and they go three and done or four and done or five and done at another school from the transfer portal. So this is college basketball. This is what they give us now. And I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm not a fan because I think it's kind of cool that everybody has a chance. I think it's kind of cool. I, like, I support that. But do I care about it? No. I, 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 I'm not, I don't. And so I like the women's game. I like women's college basketball. I like that you can follow stars like Aaliyah Boston and Caitlin Clark for years. Yeah. For years. I know the coaches in a lot of cases. You know, whether it's Dawn Staley or Gino Oriam. I, I, I do know the coaches. A lot of, still a lot of them. Um, and I, I told I just... I'm on. I'm on to the NBA. The NBA, and, and maybe it's because the NBA storylines to me are compelling. It's not because I cover more NBA. I've covered more NBA now for 35 years. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with my interest and the storylines. Would it surprise you to know, because it surprised me to know, that the uh, Iowa-Louisville game, where Caitlin Clark had a 40-point triple-double uh-huh. tonight, uh, drew 2.5 million people. More people watch that game than any NBA game on ESPN so far this year. Regular no, season. Me at all because I know what happens. That's why March Madness is. That's why they pay eleven billion dollars for it. That 
I mean, this is not, no. It doesn't surprise me. And, and it will surprise you if South Carolina versus Caitlin Clark draws more than the men? Um, yeah, it'll surprise me a little, but I think it's going to be really close because I think yeah. I think that people know South Carolina, and I think they have come to know Caitlin Clark. Here is my fear. I said this before you got on the air. My fear on this game, because I think South Carolina is really good, and I think defensively what they did to Maryland is good, and yeah. they destroyed Maryland on the boards. I think they'll smother Caitlin Clark to a degree that this is going to be Indiana State, Michigan State, which was great hype, but yeah. the game wasn't good. That's my fear. Well, the game wasn't artistic. I thought it was, I remember the game as being great. I, I think it will be that. I think it will. I think it could be that. I think it should be that. And Caitlin Clark may find a way to beat them. Wow. I think that she has that in her. Uh, and by the way, by the way, look, I watch Iowa a lot. I watched Iowa women's basketball this year because of Caitlin Clark more than I watched all but maybe three or four men's teams, and that includes my own Northwestern. Tony, they they can all, they play offense. No, not just she plays offense; they play. And everybody else is just getting to Caitlin Clark. I'm I'm beyond that with Iowa. I've watched them. They're well coached as well. They have a nuclear offense. They got four or five women who can shoot it. And she will find you. Oh, she's a great passer. She's, an, she's not, she's not um, you know, a person who just scores. She, right. she gets triple doubles. Nah, she's a great passer. She finds them, she, and she boards it, and she, you know, now I, I don't know whether I was big and strong enough. Uh, it's a Big Ten team. They're probably big and strong enough. Um, so anyway, I'm looking forward to that Friday yeah. night. I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I sat down. I don't ever do this. I sat down, as you know, and I watched South Carolina, Maryland. I watched yeah, until about yeah. four minutes were left when it was there was yeah, no chance. Was over. And I watched it in the way, and this is I, the biggest tribute I can give to that game, is that I watched it in the way that I used to watch games when I was a sports writer, and I took notes and I yeah. understood. I mean, I would watch and and I wanted to know statistically how many offensive rebounds yeah, is yeah. South Carolina yeah. getting. Twenty-five to seven. I found out the next day. Twenty-five to seven. So that is—that's the highest respect that I can pay to a game that I watched it like a sports writer, and I will watch South Carolina, um, Iowa in the same way. And I'm not sure I'm going to watch Florida Atlantic, San Diego State like that. I'm not. While you don't want to say it out loud, you're (laughs) in the same place as me. Not to the degree that you <laughs> yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just don't want to degree. say it. You just said, I don't even know that I'll watch it. You just said it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> That's the same deal here. You know what I wonder I, about? I wonder, honestly, um, the genetics of the Hurley family. I mean, here's I've had a couple of coaches say to me, Danny Hurley is yeah. really good. Yeah. Now, yeah. Bobby Hurley was the better player. Yes. He may not be as good a coach. Their dad, yeah. Bob Hurley Sr., is in the hall. There's him and Morgan Wooten. Well, it's kind of like the Drew family. You yes. Know, you get one was a better player. Yes. And the other was probably a better coach. I, I, this, you know, yeah. I, I, I look. I'm going to watch those games. I'm yeah. not. I'm not. I just. I don't care. Right. I don't care. And if one of them turns into a blowout, I'm going to go to the Law and Order reruns. I'm just telling you. <laughs> okay. Because right. it just because there's no look. There's no brand in men's college basketball now like South Carolina women. I agree That's with the that. They've been to the final four three times in four years. Uh-huh. There's no men that have done that. Now. No. 
They're All UConn. Right? They're what UConn used to be with Oriyama. That's right. And there's no there's yep. nobody out there like Caitlin. Well, there might be. Um, uh, Noel, the little kid. Oh yeah, Marquise Noel was he Noel. was the star of the Kansas State the final kid. Four that we could say. Yeah. Okay, I, I watched that kid. He was a star. He's a star. Yeah. But he, there's not there's not that. No, because so, any good player leaves. They just leave. Yeah. You see them three times and they yeah, leave. No. How there's did you like Miami? Go ahead. Real briefly, there's a kid in Miami who is so intense. This kid has made it his business. Handsome kid, like six six swing man, who wants to be in media. He does he does games in other sports yeah, now I don't know in South Florida. I don't know who he is. I don't know who you're talking you, about. You you you'll know he, he's. I'll I'll see him in a while, but I don't know. Post game will stop you in your tracks. Oh, okay. When they when they go to him and they say. All right, uh, you know, you're really aggressive in the second half when you got the lead back. What about it? And you go, I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you Clark Kellogg Jr.? Are, you know, he's got that sort of affectation. Are okay. you Alfonso Ellis? Right. Are you a guy who's going to make a living at this? Yeah, he is. Right now, he's 19. What do you, um, we had Larry Nago on yesterday. We've known him an awfully long time. What, what do you, his career. His career is something. I mean, he's not, he's not had glamour schools. He took two schools. Like Miami, for people who aren't old enough to remember this, because maybe they remember Rick Barry, and Rick Barry was 79 years old yesterday. Um, Rick Barry's the greatest player who ever played at the University of Miami, but they, they, they bagged the program after him. Yeah, they stopped. They shut down they the shut program down. for yeah. five years. Miami... The U, that's a football school, kids. Uh, not anymore. Well, not anymore. Um, but I'm saying, it, it, I'm it saying was, that's what it, it was. was. For about 30 years, with, with, from Howard Schnellenberger through, you know, Jimmy Johnson and Erickson and all those guys. Yeah, but Tony, they got an NIL guy. Yeah, they you did. <laughs> he's he's handing now. out money on the corner. I mean, come on. They, they, they can yeah. do whatever. They, they, they're, they're, and, and, and it's, I'm sorry, Miami women's basketball? Yeah, they were right there, too. Okay, they're as big as the men's team yeah. in terms of campus and recruiting and stars yes. and, and all the ways that is measured now, Instagram and all of that. So, yeah, I, you know, Miami's, Miami's a machine. And it, good for them. I'm not, you know, this is the way business is done now. I just... Yes. I'm, I'm on to something else. Like, if Jim, to, like Jim Beheim allegedly said... They're all bought. Yeah, of Larinaga's program. You bought the program. Well, I'm sorry, that's legal. Yeah. I mean, the the, the word bought may not be entirely accurate, but the spirit of it is, and so fine. Yeah. That's what everybody's able to do. Able. And by the way, every Power Five school, and most of the schools are probably, they got billionaires. They got billionaires. Yeah. I I ain't going to sit up here and cry poor. We got them. At my school, because I know them. In some cases, my friends. In a couple of cases, people I went to school with. And so, so these opportunities are available wherever somebody says. And not every billionaire wants to put his or her name on that. But some do. You can, you know, one of the reasons the women stay in school is that potentially they can make more money staying yeah. in college yeah. than going to the pros in the no, United States. Not potentially. Well, it's how much money can you get? At the and Haley, whatever their name is, they make more money at Miami than they can make in the WNBA. Yeah. First of all, you know, I mean, you know, how few jobs are available every year in the WNBA. They they go through drafts like four gigs. There's no, there's no, you don't 
automatically. It's not like you're going to school to then leave early to go to the WNBA. That's not the deal. No. no. So, so, so the NIL money can really dramatically change women's college change. basketball. That's Let's true. see if it does. Let's That's see true. if it does. It hasn't yet, but Cavenders. Isn't that their last name, the Cavenders? Hannah and Haley Cavender. I don't know. They're, the, they're twins, right? They're, they're twins, twins in Miami. And they're, they're, Cavender. You, yes. Cavender. Yes. Go to Instagram. I dare you. See if you can go and be on, be on Instagram for four minutes and not see them. No. Yeah. Well, I don't see them because I'm never on Instagram. Right, right. I, I know. But, All right. you know, so there's, there's and, you know, I'll watch, I'll watch both. But um, there's stuff. There's, you know, what did, we t- what did we do for Sports Center yesterday? Oh, we did Durant. Who yeah. plays tonight here? Yes. Did Durant? You know, we did Durant. I mean, I'm. You told me that. to take notes. Remember, I had to start writing <laughs> well, down. No, I told you, you to said. take notes that you got them being the best team. I and do. They're not. I do. The best team. And as a matter of fact, not only are they not the best team, because you say publicly all the time, you're not watching this stuff yet. You'll get to it. You say this all the time. I'm watching Durant. Okay, but Durant, you ain't watching much because he ain't played. That, that's right. But every time when he got when to he Phoenix, plays, I know you were into. I, well, and they I were four were. and zero. Oh. Tony, Tony, look, this is not even your NBA and my NBA because we have never covered a league, this league, when it had six or seven teams that maybe could win. This league doesn't do doesn't do it that way. Not pro football. This league has that now. And so, like, last night I'm watching Golden State in a death match. Did they win? Golden State, yeah, they won. It's at home. They're down 20. They're down 20. And you, I, I tune in down 20 because it's halftime. And I go, oh, my God. And I said to you, you said, what's the significance of this game? Like, no, you the, said there was significant. I mean, I root yes, for Minnesota. So they, otherwise, because please, Nathan Bubis sits on the bench. Wait, they're good. Right. Is Towns is back. Anthony Edwards, look, Towns is back. Anthony Edwards is a, he looks like he might be a one. Mm. Like a one, okay? Like, like, a, like a guy who in the middle of next year may be Kawhi Leonard. It looks like he's got that. And he's got the charisma. He's got the leadership. It seems like his teammates are afraid of him in, in a good way. It's great. But, and, and the big boy, the Stifle Tower, is playing something nearly like they thought he would. When they trade, when they made the deal for him. Gobert, yeah, and Gobert, and so now you got teams. I, is Minnesota going to win this year? No, Minnesota's not going to win this year. But I, I tell you what, go ahead and give them home court advantage. See how comfy you are. And so all of those things are brewing in a way that you know, and, and even the losers. Like I'm, I'm angry. The Bulls are winning. And they're going to they're ten and five with a guy says to LeBron to his face, "You're too small." No, Patrick Beverly. I mean, he says he would say that to anybody. Well, but you wouldn't say it to anybody. Anybody say it to Michael Jordan? Patrick Beverly would, because he's an I, instigator. Yeah, well, but they were instigators then. No, well, they Patrick Beverly wasn't playing then. No, I'm just saying but, he would do it. But, but you know, Ron Artest would do it. But he didn't. You know, Artest might have. But you know what, Tony? So Patrick Beverly did it. Yeah, he did. did it. He looked him in the face. That's right. And gave the two. Come on now. If that had been done to Michael Jordan, what do you think would have happened to the instigator in the next game? Uh, he would have been dunked on sixty-three times. <laughs> yeah. He would have been vapor. No, this is the this is Tom Brady and the DB. You don't do it. Yes, now you don't now do LeBron's it. LeBron's got them. Hello tonight okay. in Chicago. 
he has owned the Bulls. So that's like, going to be a 30-point like, game, right? You, Tony, you would think. Yes, I would. You would think. I want them to lose because they're not going to lose enough. I want Wimbanyama. Well, I want a shot. Yeah. I don't care about losing in the first round. But that has that story, all that stuff to me, uh, in, involving stars, Golden State stars, LeBron stars, in his own silly, silly little instigator way, Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly comes to your town, and he, his, his town, his hometown, and he says, I'm going to put my foot in Zach Levine's, you know what. And it worked. They're better. They go, they go 11 and 5. They're better. All right. I'll talk to you later. Enjoy. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls, will take a break. Tim Kirkchin, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, these are Paul Cody and the Edsel Brothers. The band is Paul Cody on guitar and vocals, Rob Four on bass and vocals, Jim Henning guitar and vocals, and Joe Klapka on drums and vocals. It's EDSEL. And when I see the word Edsel, of course, I think of the car, the Edsel, which was named after Edsel Ford. It was a Ford product. My family owned one of these things in the early 1960s, an Edsel Citation. I have for years thought about buying an Edsel. Um, now, and they cost a lot of money now. Those that are remaining probably cost fifty dollars to $100,000. You can't drive them anywhere. You have to get it shipped to your house. And then what am I going to do? Just stick it on the street? I mean, it's insane, but I've often thought about that. I assume that they are named somehow after this car, and I wish that Paul Cody would let me know. Michael, if Paul Cody and the Edsel Brothers are similar people who create their own music, want to reach out to us and get their songs played, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing jingles at com and just let me know before the delivery. I'll get the cinder blocks. Yeah, just to put them up there. (laughs) I don't know. Always wanted to get recreate my life. It was an Edsel citation. They made Rangers and Pacers, and there were four models, and I don't know the third one, but the citation was the top of the line, and it had push buttons, like it was push-button drive, and the push-button was in the steering wheel, in it, not on the side of it, in the middle of the steering wheel. Tim Kirchin joins us now. I'm probably boring you to death. Do you, do you, do you, do you remember Edsel's? Do you know anybody who owned an Edsel? Uh no, Tony. I owned a Pontiac Catalina. Yeah, those are big. In, passed down from my dad, uh, and I forgot to put oil in it, and it seized up, mm. and the engine just destroyed. So that was the end of that car. <laughs> and I had bought a Datsun B210 yellow that looked like a like a tiny little beetle. It was awful, and I, it was a stick shift, which I tried to drive, and I got on a hill once at a parking lot in a... Uh, at a, at a, you know, like a mall. And yeah. I had to have my brother. I had to have my brother come from the other seat in order to get the car off of the hill because I was sure I would roll back and slam into somebody. That was my beginning of my driving experience. It was not good. What do you drive now? 
Uh, I drive a Honda Accord. I, I drove another Honda Accord for 240,000 miles. Wow. It ran so well that I got another one. And I'm at like 130 now. I drive a lot. And I don't care about cars. I've never cared about cars. I just need to get from point A to point B. And the Honda Accord works for me. So let me ask you, because I, I grew up, when you grow up on Long Island... Cars are extremely important. There is no mass transportation other than the Long Island Railroad. And, and everybody grows up wanting to have a car. And for whatever reasons they have, they want some sort of specific car. But what I have found in my life, and I was this for quite a while, is if I found a car I liked, the next car I got was that car. You know what I mean? Because I liked it. I had trust in it. You're that way, right? Yes. And again, uh, if I had another car that I had trusted, I would buy that. Yeah. I have, faith, I have faith in the Honda Accord, so I drive it. And again, Tony, I drive a lot. And uh, so I'm very comfortable. I'm dry. I drive to Bristol all the time. Right. Bristol is 350 miles away. I just enjoy the serenity of the car, the quiet of the car, as opposed to another crowded airport. So I spend a lot of time in the car listening to games on the radio. It is glorious for me. Um, as long as we're talking about personal uh, tastes and lives, Buster Olney, your colleague, um, was on the show the other day. He's part of the baseball team at ESPN. Buster Olney, as most of the baseball people, actually, they were sports writers. They covered baseball. Buster Olney covered baseball for the New York Times. You covered baseball for the Baltimore Sun. Before that, you covered in Texas, right? Were you at the Dallas Times-Herald? Dallas Herald? Morning News. Dallas yes. Morning News. So, I mean, you, you worked. You Kenny Rosenthal, of course, is on Fox all the time, but he worked as a sports writer. So Buster only, we were talking, and I knew that Buster had grown up on a dairy farm and knew how to milk a cow. And then he told me after that that he worked at a bagel store and he actually made the bagels. I don't have, Tim, I don't have anything interesting in my life. I mean, I worked in a department store, you know, during the summers while I was in college, a plant nursery. I worked at a camp. I was a counselor. These are not interesting Things like Buster Olney's interesting, and I felt very dull next to him. Is there anything interesting in your life? Did you ever have a, a job? Did you ever do anything like that? <laughs> of course not, Tony. I am incapable <laughs> of doing anything. I'm the most incompetent person in the world. You know this. I stink at everything. My son comes home to see me, 30 years old. Dad, can I help you with your phone or your printer or whatever? Because I can't do anything. <laughs> I worked on a playground teaching kids how to play baseball and basketball. I was an umpire as a kid. Everything I've ever done, I have done through sports. I never mm. worked in a restaurant. I never worked doing any sort of manual labor because I would stink at it. And they would say, no, you, you can't do this. you got to go do something else. <laughs> Unless there was a ball involved, I was no good at anything growing up. So you and I are the same person. I cannot fix anything. I once, this is a true story, I once uh, tried to put shelves up for a large speaker on a stereo oh, no. and the the piece of wood i had was 10 inches long you know so that it would hold the speaker in those days speakers were very big and i went to like a nail store or five and what do they call those things stores you know hardware store hardware store 
And I asked for 11-inch nails because I was going to bang this thing all the way through the wood. The guy looked at me like I was nuts. He said, no, you got to use brackets. And I looked at him like he was from Mars. I can't physically do anything. It's great that I finally learned to put gas in my car. I can't. I, that's why I wish I lived in Jersey where you're not allowed to put gas in your car. You got to let somebody else do it. So I can't do anything, and neither can you. Don't you wish you could milk a cow like Buster Olney? Uh, look, I milked a cow once. Really? It was a disaster. I went to <laughs> Ferguson Farm with my daughter, Kelly, who just had a baby yesterday, by the way. This Congratulations, Grandpa. Right. So yeah. we go to Ferguson Farm when she's in the fifth grade, and we she is milking a cow. And she said, Dad, you have to try this. So I got down there. And it was, I think I was, I think that cow had whole milk instead of skim milk because it was not coming out very easily. Right. But yes, I have milked a cow. It, it was, I did it poorly, but nothing bad happened. So yes, I can say that I actually milked a cow, but Buster's way better than me at that. And other people are way better than me at everything. I have great hands, Tony. I really do athletically. Not like that matters as a 66 year old sports writer, but when it comes to fine motor skills with my hands, I am the worst. I stink at everything. You and I also thought about this, you and justice and Rosenthal, you all worked, you were all covering the Orioles at the same time, right? Yes, that's pretty good. I mean, that's a pretty good, come on now. That's a pretty good lineup. You've all done pretty well, right? Well, yeah, but it wasn't any fun going up against those guys every day. Right. I mean, Richard Richard is a great writer, great reporter. Ken Rosenthal is the best baseball reporter in the country. And uh, there I was in the middle of those guys. So that was a very competitive beat. But I must say we still we remain friends through it, and we still remain friends, which is pretty impressive given – how competitive that beat was. Not as competitive as it was in Texas. Oh, my God, I walked into the middle of that. That was not easy either. That was a, Those were the days, Tony, when the competition was fierce, and I faced it for 10 years. I almost didn't make it through. Who was Texas? Who were you up against in Texas? Well, Richie. Well, was... Richard was not there okay. then, but okay. it was Randy Youngman, Jim Reeves, Steve Pate. Uh, it was a formidable group and i followed randy galloway on the beat which yeah it was like following john wooden as the yeah. coach <laughs> the coach of ucla it was amazing but i got through that too because galloway helped me um he <laughs> he looked at my day-by-day book which was beyond my scorebook it was just another way to keep track of the stats he goes timmy what is that thing you're keeping there i said gallo that's my day-by-day book he said timmy when I covered this team, I didn't even keep score for half a game. That's, that's how he covered it, and he was great at yeah, it. Randy was great. Randy was great. Randy told me stories, and you probably, you probably can attest to these. Randy told me that George W. Bush, when he owned the Texas Rangers, was the greatest hang-around person he ever knew in his life. I would uh, I would agree with that. I lived in Texas when George W. owned the team. He was at the ballpark a lot. I had dinner with him in the press room multiple times. He's eaten, you know, barbecue ribs with his hands. He's got barbecue sauce in his hair. And I keep thinking, this is unbelievable. This guy's the owner of the team. I've never sat and had dinner quite like this with the owner of the team. He was fascinating, and then he became the governor, and then he became the president. I went to the White House a couple times. 
You know the story when I went to the White House, right? No, what happened? <laughs> I'm sorry. This is If I offend anyone, I'm sorry. Second time we went to the White House, my wife and I, because George W. is the president. Right. So he has a baseball night. The second night I'm there, Mrs. Bush, the nicest woman on the face of the earth, the greatest host hostess of all time. When we're leaving the White House the second time, Mrs. Bush looks at me and says, so good to see you again, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) And then the president admonished his wife, it's Tim, it's not Tony, it's David. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you can call me whatever you want. So bad. It was so good. We had the greatest time there. That's yeah. I mean, Randy always said that about George W. Always loved him. I totally. And Randy was left wing. I mean, in Texas, Randy was scary left wing, and he was you know, and he loved he loved the guy. All right, I'll ask you one baseball question. We got to do one baseball question because it's opening up tomorrow, I believe. And it's I'm not going to ask you will the Nats win more than 41 because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> the new rules. You watched it now. You watched it for a month. You've seen it. Which is it going to work? Is it going to work? Because I think you were a little hesitant about a month ago. Uh, I'm still hesitant, but I think. It's going to work. When I did PTI with you guys, I told you the story that after one week of games, Aaron Boone's team, the Yankees, went to Orlando where they didn't have a uh, pitch clock, and they still played the game in two and a half hours. And he said, our guys were already conditioned to get in the box, swing, get on the mound, and throw it. That's, Tony, what we're looking for. We don't necessarily need really fast games. We need better games with a quicker pace, and that's what we've had. I have talked to dozens of people in uniform, including young guys, old guys. Bruce Bochy said, oh, love the clock. There isn't an older guy in the game than him, an older school guy, and he's a Hall of Fame manager. Love the clock. Everyone, almost everyone that I talk to loves the clock. With one warning, Tony. The games don't matter in spring training. Right. You could lose them all and no one would care. That's right. When you start to lose games because of a violation, uh, then it's going to get a little bit hairy. But to repeat, I think the pitch clock is going to work, and I'm hopeful that after a month it's not even going to be a big story. Mm-hmm. Let's hope I'm right. By the way, did you see the thing with Real Muto yesterday? Did you see that? If yeah. I was that yeah. ump, I'd have thrown Kimbrel out. I'd have said, get out of here. You've embarrassed me deliberately. You've thrown two balls back at me. You get out of here, pal. Would you, would, well, would you have done that? Look, I'm a big umpire guy, Tony. They are way better than we think. And you and Nigel and the rest of your group wouldn't last five pitches behind a game. That's right. Because yes. you'd be too terrified back That's there right. because of the speed and the danger. So let's make sure we're clear on how good the umpires are. But that umpire was completely out of line. I don't think Real Muto deserved no. anything like that. He didn't. The umpire had thrown back the pitch before. But, yes, and once you cross the line like that as an umpire, it's open season. That's why you have to show better discretion than that and realize, all right, this was a mistake. It wasn't anything egregious. Yeah, the umpire should not have thrown the pitch, thrown the ball to Kimbrell. He should have put it in Real Muto's hands the first time. Right. He should exactly. have done that. That's, but right. I would have tossed Kimbrel. Kimbrel with the, the vulture thing. Get out of here. I mean, get out of here, Kimbrel. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tony. See you guys.
Tim Kirchin. It's high-quality performance. We'll take a break. We'll have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Pitcher, that's great. Love when that happens. Love that. Uh, Bethesda Bagel Land. Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. The boys loved their special edition bagel the other day. They were hot. Mm. Yeah, the seeded oat bagel. They were hot. Yeah, hot bagels. Are you listening? (laughs) They were hot. We like those very much. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say she may get woolly. Young girls, they do get woolly because of all the stress, yeah. <laughs> and when they get woolly, try a little tenderness, yeah. And at this point, Kevin Costner's saying, meat, <laughs> it's not woolly, it's weary. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. Uh, thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Tim Kirkchen. Fantastic. So great. Thanks to our sponsors today, Simply Safe and Game Time. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple, please leave us a review from Cameron Finnis. Bagel talk with Buster Olney is why we love this show. Is it too much to ask for an Olney bagel shop? <laughs> that sign is a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, really put should. it in Maryland, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sure, he should own that. From Rory Kimberlin in Gardner, Maine. Buster Olney made bagels in West Lebanon, New Hampshire. My wife works at Dartmouth, commuting from our home in Maine half the week to our apartment in West Leb. I'm always amazed when something from your show connects in a small way with my little world. Thank you for continuing to make this show that brings smiles to so many. But that's the whole, that's what we're talking about. Like the spider web of connection. It's like, you know, 95% of the things that I read here say I have no idea where these places are. And then the next day someone says, I'm there. Yeah. I don't know why you people are listening. I'm grateful. <laughs> um, Joe Ponish in Austin, Texas. It was so great to hear the story of Buster only as a bagel baker. I've recently started baking my own bagels as the New York style of bagel stores in Austin are a good distance from my house, and it's, well, fun. I purchased the bagel boards that I believe Buster was talking about but would someday love to hear more. I really enjoyed bagels until my wife came home with some bagels from New York City last year and it pushed my interest into what I would call an intense bagel hobby hobby, and others call an unhealthy obsession with the bread product. (laughs) I'll be making my first trip to New York in June, and I would highly welcome your or any knowledgeable little's recommendations for good bagel or pizza spots during my visit. I plan to eat so many bagels, I'm wheeled out of the city by Oompa Loompas. So if you could please send any my way, I will try my best to visit as many as I can in four days, depending on stomach tolerance. Y- you can't get a bad bagel or bad pizza in New York unless you go to a chain. Well, I was going to say, Don't Einstein's, go to a chain. Einstein's are great bagels no, in New York, no, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> I recommend a little place called Sabaro. Ooh, no, it's right in Midtown. No, you don't can't do miss that. it. The only, the only real chain with great pizza, and there's only two shops, are John's. There's one in Midtown and there's one in Greenwich Village. And it's great. No, no, no. You can't, you can't go wrong if you st- just stay away from all of the yeah. national trends. I could talk to this guy about my high hydration sourdough pizza. Oof. Ooh. You make that yourself. That sounds great. From Rob Lowe in North Royalton, not that Rob Lowe, North Royalton, Ohio. You may want to let Wilbon know that one of the great NBA stories is that Florida Atlantic has more wins than Detroit, Orlando, Charlotte, Indiana, Houston, (laughs) San Antonio, Portland, Utah, and the Washington Wizards. The Owls also have the same amount of wins as Dallas and Chicago. 
Yeah, they've won 36 games 36. at this point. Yeah. And they haven't played 72 <laughs> or 82, whatever the NBA plays. From Chuck and Roxy. Oh, from, it's Brandon Borzelli who signs it. Chuck and Roxy, episode 178. It's too bad Florida Atlantic is in Conference USA and San Diego State is in the Mountain West instead of the gallant Patriot League. Maybe if Gonzaga moved over to the Patriot League, the conference would earn some street cred. <laughs> from Ross Eyed, Gonzaga Law School <coughs> alum, 2004. Wilbon jinxed it. I'm not surprised and I won't forget. <laughs> well, I mean, this is what happened to you. You went out there. You should never have played UCLA in, in a Sweet 16 game. That's yeah. an eight or a four. And you gave it everything you had and you won and then you had nothing left. Some years back, Indiana played a great game. I think they beat Kentucky and then they had nothing left in the finals. Yeah. Um, Bill Matfield. Fort Mill, South Carolina. I lived in Deerfield Beach for 15 years. The next town south of Boca. Yeah. I also lived for 10 years in Woodbridge, Virginia. In my head, FAU is roughly the same kind of school as George Mason. It's a nice four-year college that attracts a lot of local students. I have many friends who went to FIU or Mason, and they're all smarter than me. From Elliot Olshansky. So I haven't read this yet, so we we'll love- see where the Dartmouth reference is, <laughs> we right? love Elliot. I'm sure you expect that this email will contain a whole lot of name-dropping after Buster Olney's appearance on Monday's show to discuss his bagel-making career. Wrong. I'm writing because I was surprised at your lack of knowledge about Florida Atlantic University prior to Lane Kiffin's arrival. Long before the dawn of Owl Nation, the FAU football program was built from the ground up by one Howard Schnellenberger. Yes, I should have remembered that, and I did not. The same, he's one of the great football coaches of all time. Yes. At the U. The same Howard Schnellenberger who led Miami to the national championship one year before you saw Doug Flutie throw that Hail Mary pass to beat the Hurricanes. Schnellenberger coached the Owls for 10 years, and in my first job out of college at CSTV, not mentioning Dartmouth, I'll do it for you, a Howard Schnellenberger bobblehead from FAU proudly sat on the desk of my colleague Eric Merlis, a good friend of Mark Feinstein. Not only that, but FAU was where East Meadow, Long Island's own Matt Doherty resurfaced. I didn't know that. In 2005, to resume his coaching career after a short stint as a radio analyst at CSTV, which I suppose makes him my former colleague. And yes, FAU used to be in the Sunbelt Conference before Conference USA cannibalized the Sunbelt to replenish its own ranks after having been similarly cannibalized by the American Athletic Conference. I would complain about the realignment being tough to track but in a world where USC and UCLA are going to the Big Ten, what's the use of trying to make sense of it all? Best regards from Suffolk County, where my favorite bagels come from Bagel Boss on Jericho Turnpike in East Northport. Elliot Olshansky in Comac, Long Island. From Bobby Godfrey to signs Chuck and Roxy number 12. So by Adam Benson Math, I'm 10. in the top 10. Yeah, nicely done. You mentioned Tony Gwynn attended San Diego State. <laughs> what you didn't mention is in addition to playing baseball, he also played basketball there. I knew he played basketball there. Gwynn is the school's all-time assist leader. I didn't know that, with 590. In his entire 20-year MLB career, he struck out 434 times. So that's 156 more assists in four years of college basketball than strikeouts in 20 (laughs) major league seasons. Think that's pretty incredible. Wow. From Gunther in Gainesville, I'm updating my TK Show pronunciation scorecard. Does Victor Wembanyama now rhyme with Jim Lauren Yaga? If so, tell Dan Byrne. Um... From Todd Reed in Chicago, while living in Los Angeles around 15 years ago, I'd frequent Hollywood Park Casino, where SoFi Stadium is now located, on Friday nights for a weekly poker tournament of around 40 to 50 players. You pay an entry fee and then randomly get assigned to a table of eight players. One Friday night, I walk over to my assigned table and a gentleman sitting at the table looks up and says, you Todd Reed? 
A little reluctant to answer that question from a complete stranger. I did say yes. He tells me his name, that he played on the sophomore basketball team during the time I was on the varsity team at our high school in Moline, Illinois, 30 years ago, about 1,900 miles from our current location. We proceeded to have a friendly conversation about our hometown and the guys on the basketball team. But unlike Garcia, when I got a pair of aces, I wasn't folded. I eventually knocked him out. As he was leaving, I said with a smile, hey, see you in 30 years. Haven't seen him since. From Nate in London. Keeping with the recent theme, here's an unlikely story from across the pond. I moved to London last year, and a few months after my arrival, I ran into a familiar face, a young woman from my hometown in upstate New York. We both attended the same small local high school and had mutual friends on the volleyball and baseball teams. After our initial surprise, we started chatting, realized we not only lived in the same North London neighborhood, but on the same street. We planned to get drinks the following Friday. On the day she texted me, on the day of, she texted me, suggesting we meet at the courtyard at her building. And I thought to myself, wait a second, I know that courtyard. The courtyard in question is shared by two small apartment buildings about 20 feet from one another. Turns out we grew up in the same small town, only to end up next door neighbors in a city 3,000 miles away. Um, and I got uh, DG sent a picture that he had a visit with Tony Beeson. And he sent a picture of that. Very lovely. And I thought it was nice. What else do I have here? Oh, from Cesar Amador, Chuck and Roxy, number 187 in Arlington, Virginia. Well done. On Friday's show, I heard you mention Priceline's code. I thought about using it on some flights for our European vacation, humble brag. But when I tried to enter it, my Google machine told me that the code was only good for round trips from your house to the following destinations. Columbia Country Club, <laughs> Refugee Safeway, <laughs> some sense. beach in Delaware, yeah, and Ingleside. More like a final destination. <laughs> Looking forward for summer updates on your swimming lessons with Bootsy the Hammer and the Captain. It, they they are, start this weekend. They're getting actual yes. swimming lessons. and start not this from, weekend. So you're falling behind already. I can't swim. I stand. From I'm a stander. From Alex Cobb in Springfield, Missouri. While driving today from my full-time gig as HR director to my part-time gig as a college professor, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, I wound up behind a vehicle with this license plate, IMB4U. I would give you three guesses as to the make and model of this Outback, but you and all the listeners already know. Of course, it's a Subaru Outback. It was minus the raised roof rails and the cargo carrier. The owner was clearly trusting to his pompous vanity plate to convey sufficiently his air of pretentiousness and superiority. It was all I could do not to run him off the road. What kept me from doing that was as a Subaru driver, he probably prefers the off-road. In addition to the aforementioned jobs, I preach at a church on weekends and play in a rock and roll band. So I'd love to throw my hat in the ring as the official HR professor, pastor, rock star of the Tony Kornheiser Show. And you know, Chuck and Roxy, episode number 152. As always, tell Brian Moeller, only episode 167. How many episodes do these people do? You're falling behind. Wow. Okay, one more. From David Grossberg in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. I recently had occasion to travel from my neck of the woods outside of Philadelphia down to lovely Arlington a trip I have made many times, always taking the Great East Coast Bias Highway, known in the pre-Wilbon days by the prosaic moniker as I-95. Three Final Four teams running right through it, baby. Highway of your dreams. However, on this occasion, the all-knowing GPS algorithm <clears throat> sent me a different way, along various smaller routes, <clears throat> excuse me, down into Delaware and Maryland, 
until I realized with a sense of wonder, anticipation, and not a small amount of fear, oh my goodness, I think I'm being sent to the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. In all my years in the area, Mm. I have never taken this legendary pass. As we got closer, conditions began to deteriorate. Rain, wind, poor visibility. All right, I said to myself, let's do this. Time for the full Tony Kornheiser white knuckle experience. Initially, I was unfazed. So far, so good. It's a little narrow, sure. No shoulder, and the guardrail seems a little flimsy to prevent me from sailing into the bay, but it continued on and on, and a sense of foreboding began to descend upon me. How long is this bridge? Yes, like four miles. It's a full song. It's it's a long (laughs) way. Exactly how far away from land, civilization, or any possibility of assistance, or God forbid, rescue are we? Is that another suspension span we're about to cross? Good Lord, get me off this thing. Time and space lost all meaning, and I almost despaired when finally, terra firma. Next time, I'm sticking to I-95. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone as always do wear white. I'm going to solve. All right. Mm -hmm. Cornokuro cabinet. No. You're a dope. Get out of this downfall. 